0: How many of you uh, know what is or have participated in Lent in some sort of way? Oh, that's really good. That's part of that. We uh, we do this uh, in our church. But I, I know for uh, if you've grown up in a lot of evangelical churches, they really don't do very much with Lent. Uh, and so um, we're kind of weird in that we're kind of connected to the church calendar. I kind of talk about this ancient future church. We do modern music and that sort of thing. But then we reach back and do some other sorts of things. And so... Uh, This morning, I want to talk a little bit uh, about Lent and prepare us for that. But before we do that, the next sermon series, uh, we have a a memory verse. (laughs) Yeah, you delayed. You can't fool me. (laughs) Uh, So uh, so we're going to do that together, and we'll be working on this through Lent. Let's say it together. The Lord is close to those... Yeah, uh, that's a, it's a short one this time, so you'll be able to memorize it uh, quickly, uh, and you will see how that actually connects up to the sermon series uh, that we're going to be doing over the Lenten season. Uh, so um, h- how many of you have noticed that, that life has a certain rhythm to it? There's, you know, it's not, you don't just work 24-7 all through the week and all through the year. There's, there's like holidays and things that kind of break that up. Any of you notice? Any of you kind of live for the next holiday where you get an extra day off? Yeah, a lot of you are like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah for sure." You know, there's there's a rhythm to life, and that, that's good. Let's see, let's do a little practice. How many of you can name secular holidays? Okay, go. Saint Patrick's. What? Fourth of July. Valentine's. Good, we just did that one. Halloween. President's Day. Fourth of July. Easter, that's kind of the religious one. Columbus Day. Memorial Day. Okay, you guys got way too many. Stop, Stop. You guys got like a flood of them. You're good at this. You're good at this. We have all kinds of uh, secular holidays that we, we look forward to that extra day off and the connection uh, to that. Um, and when we, when we think about that, it, it puts kind of a rhythm in our, in our experience of, of the calendar, doesn't it? There's kind of the next thing we're looking forward to. And then you add to that, there are things like birthdays and, and anniversaries and those sorts of things. How many celebrate birthdays and anniversaries? And, you should all be raising your hands at that point. Yeah, yeah so there's kind of this way in which we, we move through life, but then there are these pauses and these things where it kind of starts over for us. And I realize that for the most part, most of us, when we think about time, we think linear, right? You know, I I am reminded of the linear movement of time. Every time my wife decides to get out the old uh, picture kind of thing, you know, and I look at myself when I was 25 and I look at myself in the mirror and I go, time is going by, you know, just trucking right along, you know. Anyone want to say amen right there? (laughs) You know, it's just, it's a part of it. Interestingly enough, though, uh, the Hebrews, the ancient Hebrews didn't think of it, I mean, they did think kind of linear, but they really thought of time more as as circular, you know, that there's, it starts, and you go through the thing, and it ends, and, and they pick that up, you know, you can pick that up easily in nature, right, you start with spring, and it's, yay, everything's pretty again, and my allergies have hit again, praise God, you know, and, into summer, and, and fall, and, and winter, you know, and, and then you kind of start over again, and there's spring, and, and there's, there's kind of this circularness uh, of time uh, for us, uh, and, and for the Hebrews as well. And I told you there was a lot of that. A few weeks ago, I told you they had 14 major holidays, right, and five minor ones. So there was very much a sense of, of moving, and some of those holidays were like eight days long. Um, and, and then in addition to that, you know how we have we have, we have Leonard... What year is it? Oh, good. For a second there, I thought none of you knew and it was going to be in trouble. And I was like, oh, no. Not the congregation I thought they were. Um. 2023, which means that we're looking back to something 2,023 years ago, right? Kind of for time. And then actually, you all know that you can go backwards. You know, B.C., you can go back in time and you can measure. And so there's just kind of this long, linear sort of thing. But for Hebrews, if you've read the Old Testament especially, time kind of started over every time there was a new king. So if they're referencing a time, they would say, you know, in the third year of so-and-so's reign, this, this happened. And so it was this, this circular, it came and, and it went. And, and even in life and even in our lives, we think of, well, my life is linear. But in some sense, it's not. Because when you have a child, there's a certain sense in which life kind of starts over. There's a new, new beginning with them, right? And the, the family continues on. And you kind of look at there, and you're invested in their life. And, and, and I'll tell you, as someone who's faced death in my life, you know, there's some comfort about the next generation, right? And for us as a church, we're all about the next generation, right? And then the greatest circle is when the grandkids come along, right? And you see that, that next generation, and you realize that there were generations of lives that have come and been lived well and, and come to an end, but in there they started the life that started the life that started the life that gave you life at one point in your life. And so there really is a sense in which I think, in some ways, it's almost healthier to think about time as kind of circular uh, in life, and the early church thought about that as well. For the very early Christians, they kind of came into it as Jews, most of them. And they, they had all of these holidays and this kind of time in life, this rhythm in life. And they, they brought that into Christianity. And very early on, they began to establish kinds of times when they would call us away to focus on something, to, to focus on our spiritual life. And, um, and so there was a, a rhythm in the early church, okay? Where we were to draw our attention to them. In fact, Jesus established the first couple of them. One of them is baptism, right? Which is the new birth. So you're born as a child and then you're born into new life with the baptism and how that represents and it kind of starts a, a new circle in some ways. I've, I've met people, when you ask them what their birthday was, they gave you the baptism date, right? Because for them, it was such a big deal. Now, if you're raised in the church, you know, you're like me. At the age of six, you were saved from a terrible life with stealing cookies, you know? Uh, <laughs> But some people, is a bigger change. I've told you about my dad, and it was a really big change uh, for him and, and in his life. And, and then Jesus established communion, right? And when the early church gathered, every time they got together, they enjoyed this, this meal or, or it, it later on a little more symbolic, but, but it was a, a part of the regular thing. So a lot of churches today, every Sunday when they gather, it's a part of that rhythm that we, we kind of start over and, and, and move, move through that. And and so when you think about Christian holidays today, we think about things like Advent, right? You know, we just came through that. Advent was the beginning of the church calendar. So every once in a while, I'll, I'll, when we have the first Sunday of Advent, I'll greet you with, Happy New Year! And you all look at me like I've lost my mind, you know. But it's the beginning of the Christian, Christian calendar, you know. Um, there, there's, a, there's just several of them as we move through. You know, there was, there's a, the, the Christmas season, which is the 12 days, you know. You do know Christmas is 12 days, right? On the twelfth day of Christmas, my true love gave something to me. I don't know. Um, so th- that's it. And then there's Epiphany, which I was going to do this year, but I kind of couldn't anyway, which is time kind of for telling. And, and then we come to this season that we're kind of in now, which is Lent, this special season that's established. It starts on Ash Wednesday, which is this Wednesday. Um, it's 40 days, not counting the Sundays, Okay it's really important that you remember that or it's going to be a longer time of going through that and so 40 days not counting the sunday anyone know why we don't count the sundays why we don't fast on sunday They hear it out there it's sabbath for us specifically it's resurrection day amen Okay, every Sunday, we gather and celebrate the resurrection, and you don't fast when you're celebrating the resurrection and what Christ has done for us. So, so when you get ready to give something up for Lent, remember, you kind of get a day off uh, on, on Sunday for all of that. So um, as we start this season, this is why we're going to do this. I think it's super important uh, because, oh, Sacred Rhythms, Making Room for God, that's the title of the sermon, okay? Um, Lent is one of the most uh, spiritually powerful times of the year. In my opinion, others may argue about that. But for me and my family, it has been a really important time. It seems like most of the other ones are some sort of celebration, which I, I like the holy party, amen? Nothing against that. But, but that's not all there is to faith. Uh, there's always, you know, and some of them, like Christmas and Easter, there's a lot of secular stuff that can kind of distract us. But Lent, Lent has not really been taken over by the secular society, mostly because they haven't figured out how to monetize the cross, right? It's like, that doesn't inspire people. And so um, it's hardly recognized by our culture. And so I, I think it's, it's good for us to have this time uh, when, when we, we focus in a different direction. And so I, I want to challenge you to participate in Lent this year if you, if you haven't. And we'll give you some instructions as we go away. But, but here's kind of the heart of the issue for us spiritually, Lent is when we turn our attention toward the cross, okay? Toward the the sacrifice of Christ, towards the cost of our salvation. And again, this is why it probably hasn't been picked up by the society because that just doesn't sound like fun, you know? And and honestly, in some sense, it's not. It's a hard thing for us and it's a time when we're called to remember our sins and it's a time when we're called to remember that we're dust. We all come with an expiration date in all of this. It's a time of remembering what Christ has done for us. In fact, remembering is a huge part of a lot of the holidays, both for the Jews and, and for us, and even into communion with the very instructions, as often as you do this, remember, you know, do it in remembrance of me. And so, Lent is a time that reminds us that Christianity is not a self-help program. Although if you follow Christ, it will help you. It's not an enlightenment path, though if you follow Christ, you will be enlightened. And it's not a buffet. You don't get a pick and choose. It is a way of life. Christianity is the radical choice to take Jesus up on his offer to come and follow him. And you guys know I use that language a lot more than being saved because, no, not against the being saved language, but but it kind of almost sounds like, okay, I've punched my card, I'm good to go. And that's really not the way Jesus talked about salvation. He talked about this journey of following Jesus, of becoming like him, of becoming obedient to his life. And, and he invites us during this Lenten season to, to focus on the cross. And Jesus leads us to that cross. And so there's a certain sense in which during the Lenten season, we are invited to die to self. Yeah, that doesn't, you know, you all going, okay, I don't know about this Christianity thing. Did I talk anybody out of Christianity right here, you know, through this part? It, it's a hard sort of thing. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. Uh, and uh, just to kind of set this up, what's happened in the, previously in the chapter is Jesus has had an argument with the religious leaders because they were looking for a sign, right? You know, There's a brand of Christianity that's always looking for the spectacular, for the fireworks, for the next great thing, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And Jesus said, I'm not doing that. And so he asked his disciples, he said, you know, they think kind of I'm a miracle worker. Who do you think I am? And, and Jesus, uh, in that moment, you know, affirms Peter. Peter reaches the, the, the pinnacle of, of his insight and his power when he says, you are the Messiah. You're, you're the Savior of the world. You're the one that's going to change everything. And, and Jesus blesses him. And on this rock, I'm going to build a church. And you know the rock is actually means the, that truth in, in all of that. And so then Jesus starts talking about his death. And Peter, like the rest of them, probably had bought into some sort of prosperity gospel because he was thinking that when Jesus kind of conquered everything, they were all going to be kings. And they're like, whoa, 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 you can't die. If you die, that's going to mess everything up, and Messiah's not supposed to die. And so now Peter experiences the very low. I feel sorry for Peter, man, because like in a few sentences, he went from the very height to the very bottom. And, and, uh, and, uh, G- and Jesus says to him, rebukes him, calls him Satan and says, get behind me, Right? From Peter, you are the rock, to Satan, get behind me. Wow, what a fall he had. And so in that context, Jesus writes, Jesus says these things. When Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to follow me, whoever wants to follow me, yeah, follow me, like, must deny themselves. There's going to be three things in here. The first one is deny thy, themselves. And it's a relational word. It means to set aside our own interest or to disavow any acquaintance or connection with someone. To turn your back on them is the idea. So, so this is pretty strong. Deny yourself. Disavow yourself of yourself. And then take up your cross. Okay, that doesn't sound like fun because they, they immediately a Jew would immediately understand the trip from, from Jerusalem out to Golgotha. You had to take it up and you had to, to travel with it. And, and the interesting thing about this for me um. And when I was kind of doing some of this research, it kind of hit me. I used the word wrong. But very often when people are suffering, I will sometimes say to them, you are suffering for Jesus, you know. And, and, and it dawned on me that's not, that's not wrong, but it's really not right. What's talking about here is deliberately on purpose taking up the cross of Jesus. Not something that just happened to you that you couldn't control. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That is, there's a sense in which you are absolutely suffering for Jesus in those moments. But this is more radical than that. This is when God calls you to something that's hard and you deliberately choose to pick up the cross and to take it. And then the, the last word here is follow me. So you pick up the cross and it's not just a one-time thing. It's not just a, oh yeah, that's heavy and I, I held it for a minute. You let go of it and set it back down. Oh, I have got a sliver, you know. This, this is a, a pick it up and put it on your shoulder. And follow Jesus. And you don't know where he's going. You don't know how long he's going to go. You don't know what's going to happen in all of that. Carry it with you. And then it goes on. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Okay, the bad news just keeps rolling off here through this passage. I'm telling you, okay. And then, but whoever loses their life, for me, will find it. That glimmer of hope that little ray that breaks through, all of this hard stuff, deny yourself, take up the cross, follow me. And by the way, if you try to hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. But, but, in this case, but is a really good word. But, well, yeah, I better leave that alone. Whoever loses their life, for me, will find it. That there is something on the other side of this death that that is, that is life. That is life. That is powerful. That that is is incredible. And, and and so he says, this this is this is the practical advice. This is I love this because this is like real nuts and bolts sort of things. Whoever loses wants to save their life will lose it. So don't try and save your life. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. And then he goes on, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, richer than Bill Gates, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange? for the soul. And the word for soul and the word for life are actually the same in there. So you could substitute back and forth uh, across that piece of it. And so this is the, the bad news and the good news. The bad news is Jesus calls you to something that's difficult. In fact, let me say it like this. Following Jesus is hard. Never get amens when I say that kind of stuff. I'm not sure whether you disagree with me or you're just not blessed by that concept. I'm hoping that you're just not blessed by that concept. But let's say it together. Following Jesus is hard. Yeah. Being a Christian is not easy. Being a Christian is easy. Being a follower of Jesus is hard. You can be a Christian just by saying, I'm a Christian, right? We have all kinds of people today. You know, it's just kind of cultural religion. I'm a a Christian. What does that mean? Well, I was born in America. I'm a Christian. You know, it's like, oh, that's not quite. But, you know, Jesus talked about a wide path and a narrow gate. There's something about our faith that that calls us to something that's higher and more difficult. In fact, Lent reminds us of the invitation to come and die, to come and die to self. Whoever tries to hold on to their life, they're going to lose it, but whoever lets go of their life, they will find resurrection life is ultimately what we're talking about. And so it's scary to talk about that, but the good news is that on the other side of death is real life, let me say that again. On the other side of death is real life. Amen. There we go. Just kind of warming you up for Easter, okay? Because we're going to talk about that. It's such an important thing, the promise of resurrection life, of eternal life, of life that, is, that, that matters, that and life and that more abundantly. Okay? And it's not talking about living longer. It's talking about the quality of life. So Lent is the time of year when we intentionally take up the cross, deny ourselves, and move closer to Jesus. Intentionally take up the cross, okay? Deny ourselves. woo <laughs> You're not even going to go with me on that, are you? You're like, nope, nope. <laughs> and move closer to Jesus in our lives. Uh, all of the rest of the holidays are kind of celebratory, and that's good. We, I like the holy party. But when we come to Lent, it's a time of realizing that he's calling us to follow him in another way. In fact, Here's another way of saying it. Lent is a time of spiritual renewal and strengthening. This is why I like Lent, because of what happens in me when I follow this path. Lent calls us to reorient our lives around the Christ and Him crucified. Say Christ and Him crucified. Yeah, that, that we, we look at that part of it. We, we want to become more like Jesus. It's, it's stretching us Spiritually. You know, the amens have gone way down on this sermon. I'm telling you, it's just like, I don't know what's going on. Don't you don't you love it when you have to get stretched in some way, like at work, you know, or some other place? And okay, maybe stretching spiritually wasn't my best choice of words. But here's the deal he who gave his life for you has the right to ask you to stretch. Amen? He, he does, he does, and, and Lent is when we kind of focus on that, okay? Uh, it, it's a time to set down those things that, that hinder our spiritual lives or are not good for us. It's a time to pick up those things that are good for us and help us to become like Christ, and, and so it, it's an important part of it, and, and it, in fact, Jesus did this, okay? Jesus intentionally set aside large chunks of time to practice self-denial and focus on his spiritual life. You, you, one of the ones we remember, and it gets covered often in Lent, is from Matthew chapter four, where Jesus goes out and he's tempted by the devil. You all familiar with that one? I'll, I'll tell you, most of my life I read that and I thought Jesus was tempted for forty days and forty nights. But it's not actually what it says. What it says was he fasted and prayed forty days before he went into the temptation part of it. Man, that radically changed my understanding of that passage. I mean, this was going to be so difficult that God in the flesh literally prayed and fasted for 40 days before he met the temptation of the devil. So let me tell you this, Jesus has been tempted way more than you ever have, way more than you could possibly experience. It would require that he become a part of that, okay? And, and then before choosing the disciples, he spent the night in prayer. Any of you ever tried to spend the night in prayer? Yeah, it's, it's hard. I have. <laughs> it's hard. I'm telling you, cause, especially because my favorite way to pray is on my knees, you know? And I'm on my knees and I got my head in the couch and next thing I know, I'm snoring and it's morning, okay? So, Before he walked on the water, he went up to the mountain to pray. Before he cast out demons, he was in the transfiguration. Before the cross, he spent the night in the garden. Jesus greatly valued spiritual preparation. And here's the bottom line. If he needed it, you and I probably need it as well. In fact, if Jesus needed intentional spiritual preparation before facing the world, then you and I need it. It's important to us. Do you see why Lent is important? Why I think it's such a great sort of thing? It's just a part of what we do. And we do this in all the other parts of our lives. You probably had to take some kind of training to get the job you have. And you may have to have ongoing training to get the job you have. I have to con- do continuing education. I had to cross off a bunch of things academically to do it. If, if you, t- you go to the gym, you, you prepare your body uh, intellectually, you read and learn. And, and, and get this, I, just to push this way too far, if you're married, you should work on your marriage intentionally from time to time. <laughs> yeah, I cut down. You know, your wives can help you with this. See, I, I know when we're about to work on a new part of our marriage because my wife who works in a library starts leaving books around the house on the topic. Like, oh, okay, we're going to work on that. Next. So three pillars of, of Lent, prayer, fasting, almsgiving. Let's say this again, prayer, fasting, almsgiving. Prayer, fasting, almsgiving. So the first one is prayer. And when I think about prayer, I think Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. If you remember the story of Samuel, you know, God was calling him and Eli, and finally Eli figured out this is God speaking to him. And so he said, when the next time you hear the Lord say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. For me, this is the heart of prayer. For most of my life, prayer for me was a laundry list of things I needed God to do. Lord, if you could just take care of these by Friday, it'd be really great. Thanks. Go, go tiger, you know. It's not what prayer is about at all. That's not bad. I mean, we're supposed to do that. But man, this, this radically changed my prayer life. So that for me, in my intentional time of prayer at the beginning and at the end, I say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. You'll be amazed at what God says to you in those moments and that part of it. And so uh, it, it's just an, a crucial part of it. This is, this is where prayer becomes fun. You know, sometimes getting through the list is like, oh, it's hard, but this is where God speaks to us, and this is where God changes us into his image. You do know the purpose of prayer is not to persuade God that you're right. Yeah, think about it, half a second, you get that. The purpose of prayer is for God to change you into who he wants you to be. Amen. That, that, that's the heart of it. And, and then the second one is fasting. Uh, you all heard the expression, giving something up for Lent. Yeah. How many of you have given something up for Lent at some point in your life? I know a lot of you have done that. It's because we've done this over the, over the years. But, but this is about kind of like breaking the power of something in your life, you know, something that has control over you. And, and I need to say, when you do this, again, you don't fast on, on Sundays, right? Uh, and so when, we were, when our kids were little, my daughter has a sweet tooth, uh, which she gets from her grandma. Uh, and so she just, she's really, <laughs> my mom, so it came through our line. Um, <laughs> So she, she loved candy, and it was kind of her thing. And she's very athletic, so she could do lots of it. it didn't matter. And, and so here's, here's the deal with pastor's kids. They know all the angles, okay? They know all the angles. So at, at, during Lent, she would give up candy for Lent. And then she'd save it up all week long. And on Sunday, she would hit the sugar high of all sugar highs. <laughs> and Monday, it would start over, <laughs> you know? So I don't know what it is. There's something in your life. People sometimes give up coffee or, wow, that seems like a big cross to carry. But, uh, you know, things that suck down time or all of those sorts of things. Uh, you know, maybe you give up chocolates or sweets or, or maybe, maybe alcohol. Maybe you need to back that up and say, listen, I just want to get control of this again in my life. Uh, and so it creates a space in your life to focus on God and his kingdom. That's the heart of this. There is no value in simply suffering for the sake of suffering, okay? So here's how I say this. Some of you will recognize this. Deny to intensify. Say, deny to intensify. Yeah. You give up something in one area to intensify another area of your life. And there is real power in this. Okay? And, and so, um, just kind of how this worked out in our lives when our kids were little, and uh, we were kind of doing Lent and trying to figure this out, uh, we decided that one of the things we needed to do was enrich our time together as a family because I was busy and Jody was busy. And, uh, those kind of years. So we decided as a family, with maybe a little pushing from dad, that during Lent, we would give up screens. And this was back when there was really only the TV screen and the, the video game screen. They didn't have screens on their phones in, in those days. And so uh, we would, when Lent began, we would turn off the TV I'd unplug it so that we couldn't accidentally turn it on, right? All of that piece of, and this is an amazing sort of thing that happened. I mean, we were like, and by the way, I just want to apologize to all of your children already if you decide to do this. Don't bring my name up, please. <laughs> the first day we would sit down that first evening and we're kind of like looking at the TV like it's going to magically come on or something, you know. Pretty soon you look around and go, oh, maybe we should talk to each other or something like that. I don't know. How'd your day go? How'd your, you know, and by the end of Lent, we're playing games together and all of, all of those sorts of things. And my children actually got so they liked this. Because it enrichified, it intensified, it intensified, intensified the experience of life, and it intensified something that is a spiritual thing, our family time and our relationship with them. That's what I mean by deny to intensify. Take something out of your life so that you can put something of spiritual value into it. And then alms giving. Y'all know what almsgiving is? Say generosity directed at the poor. That's what an alm is. It's something directed at the poor. So I'm not going to say too much about this, but let me just say this. For the vast majority of you in here, you are rich. You are rich by world standards. You are rich by historical standards. You're even, for the most part, rich by American standards. This community is largely middle class and up. And if you look at, you know, there's a pyramid, the middle class, there's even more, more down there. And so I, I, I just want to encourage you, maybe do something significant for the poor. You can give to our Compassionate Ministries. You can give to Salvation Army. Uh, There's a number of other things we actually have, and I have forgotten the name of the charity for battered women. Would you help me? LifeHouse. Uh, That is a really great charity. You can give uh, to that one. If you have children, let me encourage you at this point. Get your kids involved in giving. If you're writing a check, let them be a part of that. If you're buying something to go there, bring them along. Let them give the money. Let them pick it up off the shelf, put it in the thing. Teach them about generosity, amen? We will tell the next uh, generation because generosity is a lifestyle for followers of Jesus, right? Okay? And so um, here's what I also want to encourage you to do. Those are the three parts of it. I want to encourage you to come to our Ash Wednesday service. This Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Uh, it's it's a time of preparation, uh, and it's a time of what God is, is doing uh, in our lives, and so uh, if you want to be a part of that, be there. I'm going to explain all the symbols. A lot of times people say, well, I've been to Ash Wednesday services. It made no sense. I'm going to lay that all out for you, and it's great fun to get ashes put on your forehead, right? We have some of you families who for years have been coming back, and you have pictures that always go up on Facebook. I see afterwards, and it's a ton of fun for me as a pastor to see generations of of putting the ashes on, on one another's heads, and we'll talk about the power that comes with that. And then um, Lent is a time of preparation for Resurrection Sunday. Amen. We are preparing our hearts. In fact, the early church, this would be a time when people who were going to be baptized would be, go through a, a, a catech... Cate, um, I lost it. <laughs> well, A time of preparation for baptism on that. If our musicians could come. Uh, the, the last little part of this I want to say here... I'm starting a series for Lent called Broken. Does Jesus care about my pain? Um, I've been in the church a long time. I've heard a lot of sermons. I've preached a lot of sermons. And what I find is that for the most part when we preach about the cross, we preach about what it does for the sinner. And I am thankful for what it does for the sinner. Forgiveness, reconciliation, regeneration, somebody say amen, all of these good things that God, God does for us. But by and large, we have not talked about what the cross does for the one who was sinned against. And man, I, I've been reading a book that just has rocked my world. And I realize that that's been a gap in what I've preached about. And so this series is going to talk about what, what the cross has done, what Jesus has done for those who have been, been sinned against. And I think this will be a series that will bring comfort and hope for those that are broken or have been wounded, either by the church, and let's be honest, the church has done some of that, amen, okay, okay, or by others, and all of that, that piece of it, and I, I just want to encourage you to come and be a part of that, especially if you look at yourself, and you go, I'm broken based on that thing that happened, maybe it's that secret thing that's in that file that nobody else sees, maybe you've never shared it with anybody, but Jesus knows, and Jesus has hope for you, This is a good one to invite people to as well who've been through that. But I need to be honest with you. I'm going to dig in a bit and it may trigger you a little bit. And if it does, you're welcome to step out and and walk out into the foyer. That's okay. But after decades, I just feel like we need to talk about this business of brokenness and the answer that Christ has for us. Um, We're going to, I'm going to pray in just a minute and and we're going to sing a a great song as we kind of get ready to start in It's It's the Lord's Prayer. Um, And and there's a line that they hit over and again in this song, and it's, our Father, have your way. Say, our Father, have your way. That's at the heart of the Lord's Prayer. It's right at the beginning that God would have his way, and that's what Lent is. Lent is saying to our Heavenly Father, have your way with me. Nothing else really matters if I gain all of the world. If I have every toy, if I have every pleasure, if I have every honor, and I gain all of that, but I've missed you, I've missed it all. Father, have your way. And as we sing, if you would like to pray, uh, come down, about pray about anything, we'd be happy to pray with you. We have anointing oil. We would be happy to anoint you with oil. You know, or you'd like to pray on your own, you can pray here or there. But I just want to invite you to open your heart to Jesus Christ. Maybe you want to get to know God. And if you want to get to know God, I invite you to come. We would be happy to share that with you. And Debbie uh, Edgebert, if you're in the sanctuary, would you come and and be the woman over here on this side? I'm not seeing her move. Okay, Christina. (laughs) Christina gets called on a lot. But let's let's pray. Father God, Lord, I know that Lenten season is hard in some ways. (laughs) Denying ourselves is never fun, and we're not good at it. And Father, a sermon series that may dig into some things that have been buried and are difficult, Lord, is is tough too. And so, Father, I pray for healing. I pray, Father, that as we go on this Lenten journey, that your Holy Spirit would speak into people's lives and into my life, Lord. I pray that you would make this holy time, sacred time, Father. And that when we come to the end of it, we will come ready to celebrate your resurrection. And all that you have done for us. Father, 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 may your will be done and your kingdom come. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, church family, thank you for watching this video. It is amazing that you consider this your church home. If you do consider this your church home, we would ask that you would share this video with a friend. If God has been speaking to you, we would hope that you would share this message. As always, like and subscribe so that you don't miss a single video. And tune in each Sunday at 10 a.m. on our live stream, or you can join us in person. We'll see you next week. God bless.